0: Hello adventurers, you're all very welcome to the Mike Flayers podcast, coming to you from the furthest reaches of the Far Realm via the Mind Flayer Telepathic Network. I'm your host, Connor O'Brien, and joining me as always is my co-host, Martin O'Dwyer. Hey guys, how's it going?
1: Are you, are you good today, Martin? How are things? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty solid. Um, very excited. We just we just released our first episode on uh, YouTube and Spotify, listen now. We did. We did, we're, uh, but we're uh just for our fans know we're available on youtube
0: and spotify indeed if you're if you're more a fan of the audio and uh, not the video I don't like looking at these mugs mm. um yeah uh yeah i'm pretty excited about that actually speaking of in terms of like episode releases uh martin uh happy christmas man happy.
1: Uh, because technically
0: <laughs> this will come out on the 25th of december <laughs> oh
1: happy christmas yeah merry christmas everyone hope uh oprah having... our,
0: our... Christmas episode that isn't a Christmas episode because there's nothing Christmas <laughs> themed. The, the one... I Actually, okay, I will say this. There is one... If you want to, like, follow a really long thread, there is one aspect of this episode that will be very slightly Christmas. Uh, and the only reason is because Christmas, for some people, is about family, about presents, about a nice big meal. For others, it's about Doctor Who. <laughs> and uh, in, in this case, we have... Uh, one of our friends in our previous campaign played a Blue Dragonborn uh, sorcerer who was basically a Doctor Who mm. character. Uh, and we're actually going to tell a story in this uh, podcast uh, about that Doctor Who-esque, the, his most Doctor Who-esque moment of our yeah. previous campaign. So if you're willing to walk the 10 miles of that thread, <laughs> yeah, it's a Christmas episode. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I Actually, I'm pretty sure he did quote a Doctor Who Christmas episode the Christmas special episode at the very end when he did the thing when he did it oh quite possibly yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I remember what he said I think I took it down but uh, oh no I didn't because I as we checked I, I have my old notebook from our first campaign as I said it Connor earlier and I had a look at it there and I have exactly before the story we're going to tell and immediately after and a blank page with the title of the story we're going to tell because because uh, yeah not so hard at the note taking when you know things are happening and exploding. It was, uh, yeah, it was.
0: It was one of those moments uh, where it kind of. I I don't blame you for not taking notes. Normally, Martin, you are the best note taker in the group by a long mm. shot. Um, <laughs> but uh, by I mean a long shot. Um, but yes, uh, Mike has his own system. It's mostly hieroglyphs. I don't yeah. understand it, but he does. So that's all that really matters, I guess. Um, but yeah um you're normally our best note taker but obviously in in the heat of the moment and it was a very heated moment yeah um or you know a couple sessions i think it was maybe two or three sessions long this entire yeah uh, he... action packed i think it was uh, three I think,
1: three i think
0: yeah i mean that's just the we'll say the battle little yeah. part um but yeah uh We'll just jump into it because it can be, it is a little bit long. Yeah, uh, and feel free to interrupt me, Martin and make uh, past comments because otherwise it will just be me telling a story for a very long time. <laughs> I don't want to be talking for the entire podcast.
1: Uh, that, well, uh, you are so, a DM,
0: so uh, it's it's kind of in your wheelhouse. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't shut up. We all know that. Um, so this is a story I've dubbed the Battle of Narvine. Uh I've not written it like a story. I just have some bullet points. So as a setup, uh, in our party martin was playing a vengeance paladin uh dan was playing a uh dwarf uh rogue mike was playing a blue dragonborn sorcerer like i said okay. uh my fiance tara was playing a uh a wood elf monk and uh, our friend aaron was playing uh, a high elf arcane trickster uh the guys had gone on a quest to the underdark to recover something called a Salica stone, uh, which was a a sacred gem that had been taken from Sage's village. That's Tara's character, the monk. Uh, It had been taken, you guys had been on a a week's long journey, Mm -hmm. um, at least out of the game, we'll say. I think it only took a few days within game uh, to get to the city of Narveen, the hidden city, uh, which is a drow settlement in the Underdark. Um, And uh, one of the people you were going to meet up with upon getting there was a formerly player character now npc uh because his uh his player had left uh, the group uh, named Saren, who was a drow as well and was actually a prince of this city uh, that had been exiled in his in his early years uh and you guys uh were meant to meet him kind of outside the city so he could show you how to get past the hidden part the secret part uh when you discovered that he had been abducted Mm-hmm. Uh, you found some of his boots and belongings, uh, and with a quick, I believe, locate object spell, you found yes. one of his other boots.
1: I've never been more grateful for a second of a spell slot than I have for that entire arc where I basically cast locate object at every opportunity.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it really helps when you're wandering through the, the endless underdark and oh, finding dangerous stuff, th- right?
1: the game changer was when I read it again and realized you could choose a type of object and not just a specific object.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you could be like, uh, how many, and in this particular case, you found one of his boots and you held it and said, I want to locate object on other boots like this nearby.
1: And you know, it was, boots um, it was his mask. I used, uh, he, he had this crazy, um, oh, like, okay, mask from a, like uh, like a, like a dishonored style mask. Um, yeah, it was very much dishonored. So. Yeah. I think we, 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 I think we had uh, like, just like just his boots and we we're like, oh, and I think his weapons might've been there as well. Uh, he'd left some gear because yeah, he had been taking in a bit of a scuffle but by it, mind players it was basically everything that we could normally think of to try and look for him and we were all kind of like just racking our brains it was like oh yeah he had that mask and then we used that in the mask and then that kind of led us along in the direction of i think that was where true that kind of fungus forest we were in and then up...
0: you were in a a, a a fungal forest in the underdark yeah um, and what actually happened was he... You cast a spell you got a ping you are like oh something's this way i think his mask is this way you followed it just in time to see what is essentially like a little shuttle like a little space shuttle uh for those of you who might be a little bit adverse to sci-fi in their DD. i apologize for this entire episode um but this is where we're going it uh, it's, a very, awesome. it, it's a very uh, fantasy meets sci-fi episode. Um, And what had happened was he had, uh, you found, you saw this shuttle just zooming off into the darkness uh, over an underdark sea. Mm -hmm. So an entire saltwater sea located entirely underground. Um, And you thought, oh shit, we got to, uh, we got to like go and get him. Uh, But then you also thought maybe we should go to the city of Narveen and see what we saw that out as well first. You did manage to find it. Uh, and this is a bit of a side note to the main story that we're telling. Uh, I did want to tell the story uh, of how you guys first tried to infiltrate <laughs> Nareen, Uh Because it's one of my prouder moments. And I guess to give a special thanks to Matt Coville for giving me the idea. <laughs> uh, so in the weeks leading up to this, you guys had a bag of holding. Mm. Uh, and Mike, who was Shamash, our sorcerer, had the spell Reduce Enlarge. Great spell. Enlarge well, Reduce. Really great spell. Enlarge Reduce. Really useful spell. Yeah. Really useful spell. And what had happened was, uh, you had gotten into the habit of Shamash casting it on himself, in which case him and everything he is wearing grows to a size large, each of you crawling into the bag of holding and waiting there because it says in the description of the bag of holding that the bag of holding has 10 minutes of air. And uh, you guys are right, we can can all hop in and we'll be grand for 10 minutes and he can fly somewhere or teleport somewhere and it'll bring us all with him uh, because we're in a pocket dimension in an item that he's holding. Uh, which is a really clever use of it, uh, but honestly, as a DM, I was getting pretty sick of it because you were using it <laughs> like front and center. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you guys ha- were outside of Narvin, which is kind of on an island in the middle of a of a lake, uh, in the, in this huge, huge cavern uh, in the Underdark. And uh, what happened was the arcane trickster said, "Hey, I can cast invisibility on you, uh, Shamash, our dragonborn sorcerer. You can you can enlarge." and we'll all get into the bag and then you can cast, you can cancel and large reduce. So you shrink back down, but we're all already in the bag. Then you can cast fly on yourself and fly into the, over the town and no one will see you because you're invisible because she is in the bag of holding still concentrating on that spell. And it was a good use of things. It was really, really good.
1: An excellent combination of spells, I will say. Oh yeah. Such a great
0: idea. Including like the, like really clever when you consider that you know you you had multiple concentration spells but knew you could cancel the reduce and enlarge once everyone's in the bag anyway mm-hmm. cast a different spell get to the location cancel invisibility and then reduce and large or enlarge again to release everyone went out of the bag and then you're all inside
1: yeah uh, when so this happened the majority the, of the party are spellcasters you can get up to some crazy shenanigans there is some uh, some room for some serious abuse uh, <laughs> sorry I, uh
0: you're okay for now uh and you uh so you guys hop in uh smash takes off and he starts flying into uh into the town uh he's flying over all the buildings and i'm there and i roll a few dice uh and you guys don't know what i'm doing but what i'm actually rolling for is to see who is still who's running out of breath and i'm checking everybody's um like uh everyone's what you're calling their ability to hold their breath because everyone has different con Mm. scores uh and i'm like okay I think enna who was the archangel who cast invisibility had a relatively low con score yeah. she can hold her breath for a very short period of time uh like literally a minute plus your con modifier i believe is the rule so she was actually one of the first ones to lose consciousness inside the bag and i described to shamash that all of a sudden his invisibility fades so you are now visible and flying over the city uh at a regular size but you're still a seven foot eight foot tall whatever dragonborn um, people might spot you so he's like oh crap okay i will i'll immediately go to the nearest rooftop and duck in behind a chimney or something like that um where i can't be seen and i'll cast in large and i'll let everyone out of the bag uh and everyone piles out and enna is indeed unconscious and i think a couple <laughs> other people were were gasping i think you're all gasping mm-hmm. for breath at this point it was a close yeah. thing yeah uh and you you guys are all kind of scratching your heads and you're like what what, what happened i mean why did she pass out or why did she drop to zero or whatever you're and uh i i'm there and you all look at me and i say uh, the bag of holding has 10 minutes of air and you're like yeah 10 10 minutes of air that's only been like two minutes i say the bag of holding has 10 minutes of air total <laughs> uh which is again an idea i got from matt Corville. um and Thanks you guys like ah <laughs> fuck you dm <laughs> yeah. uh and i was like just it, it was it's a really good system but as I like the idea that maybe you can do it that you can do the trick with the bag of holding a few times but just remember that a bag of holding when it's made has 10 minutes of air and after a while it will stop having air um so you can do it a couple times and you gotta be clever with how you use it but eventually that little trick will run out
1: unless you um, have a and,
0: warforged party unless you did they? i think they still have to breathe don't they no
1: Warforged. Oh, warforged do not need to breathe as they just go into shutdown mode no, they just don't need their machines.
0: <laughs> uh, also, oh, wait, or, or if you're an air ganassi, you can just hold your breath yeah. indefinitely. Or dead. Uh, or, or dead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a little sidebar, but yeah. that was one of my favorite moments. So that actually ended up in a, in a fight kicking off inside the city uh, where you guys had some pretty clutch moments uh, trying to escape the, now, the city that was now well aware of your presence is all these mm. uh, surface invaders. Uh, so... Uh, after that happened you guys decided right well that all went to shit very fast let's go and see if we can find Saren, and maybe he'll have a better way for us to get into the into the city you guys travel to outside of darwin back to that underdark ocean that underdark sea you came across and you actually had a foldable boat or a folding boat yeah uh so you deployed it at its largest size hopped onto it and started sailing it across this a great expanse of black and water uh you reached the far side and after some searching you guys came across uh the home of the mind flayers which was basically a mind flayer capital ship or mothership whatever you want to call it that had um i'm gonna i'm gonna jump back and forth between a lot of like sci-fi and uh and fantasy terms so bear with me on this um but you would jump back and forth between uh it had like essentially warped or you know slip spaced or hyperdrived into like
1: materialized within the wall. Sorry, it had like materialized within the cavern wall, right? That was it, wasn't it? it not in the wall, but in the cavern.
0: Yeah, oh. it, it basically had the jump drive had basically brought it, it. It basically has the ability to cast teleport as a spell, or and plane shift. Um, and it basically had done that and appeared inside of this cavern, which is big enough to house it, but it couldn't go anywhere then. Uh, or it could, but it was kind of like the entire bottom half of it was scraped up because it came in and it skidded all along the ground and it tore out all the lower uh, decks of this enormous capital ship. Think like Imperial Star Destroyer type deal. Um, Those are the pointy ones were... for
1: non-Star Wars ones. Yeah,
0: they're the, they're the triangles. I think uh, <laughs> big triangle. Um, big, big triangle with squids in it. Um, and you guys decided, okay, we're going to go on board. And see what I can see and it's a very creepy thing you see all these they have Mm. all these like shuttles that are hovering around and patrolling Uh, you guys go on board the lower couple decks are completely inoperable Uh, there's no lights on most things aren't working and there's a lot of damage Uh, but you manage to find uh, a cupboard which you discover is actually an elevator Um, and the way to operate it and the way you operate most things in the mind Flare technology that I come up with I kind of based it a lot on Stargate Atlantis, uh, for
1: those who are familiar. Um, and it did a, have kind that, of these... very much that kind of vibe. Yeah, that kind of bio, yeah. uh, bio-organical. No, no, no bio-mechanical. Jesus. Yeah, bio- bio-mechanical.
0: Bio-mechanical, the, uh, the wraith ships yeah. uh, in that. And there was these little gooey things. These kind of gooey panels on the wall. And you can stick your hand into it. And it's like sticking your hand into a brain. And it melds your nervous system with the ship's nervous system. Uh, and you can then think commands into it. And it's very easy to do simple stuff. You want to open a door, you want to make an elevator go up or down. Those are all pretty straightforward commands, no problem there. So you managed to get that working. You made the elevator go up. You arrived on an actual operational deck with lights on and everything looks pristine. And all the walls are kind of slimy and hmm. metal, but also like organic. Um, and you came across, uh, well, a couple of things happened. You kind of, I think you killed a couple of mind players um, so, and yeah. you found this in huge room filled with pods where they were storing people that they had captured for mm. later consumption. Uh, I think there was and, some like vivisection
1: going on as well if I remember rightly.
0: I think they were operating yeah they were t- operating on someone or learning something about someone yeah um, and they had they had hundreds of drow because they had been looking for Narveen as a city for a long time because they know hey we know there's a drow city down here somewhere that's a huge source of food for us we really want to find that drow city. Um, but, obviously, Narveen is hidden, and even though they had a lot of Drow captured, the Drow would do a thing where they had these bite-down, breakable teeth, like cyanide, uh, that they could bite down on that would poison their whole system. So, even if a Mind Flayer, even dead, if a Mind Flayer tried to consume the brain of them, they're basically eating a poison brain. Uh, so, they can't get the knowledge of where Narveen is. Um, you guys went in, I, uh, I'm a little hazy on the details, but you scouted around inside for a while, and you were about to leave.
1: Yeah, I've. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah go on.
0: If you remember, by all means, chime in, because I'm a little hazy on the specific details of what happened in the ship this time around.
1: I thought you were going to go somewhere else for a second, but if I remember rightly, what happened was we were sneaking around the ship, and at one point we had to split the party. Um, there was like a lower deck, there was like a hole to a lower deck, and then, um, oh yeah, that was it. We, um, one of the people we found that we came across in the pods was the only other blue dragonborn that we had ever encountered uh Karina. And well
0: if I may chime in.
1: Yeah. The way you found
0: that out, and this is important for the story later on, is uh as you were leaving or you found a console and you're like, oh, there's thousands of pods in here. Hmm. We need to find one drow in a whole host of drow. So you started saying to yourselves, right, how okay, let's let's put our hand into the into the GUI panel and let's ask it. And I, I believe this may have been Drunin that asked this question. So our dwarf rogue and he stuck his hand in and he said, he he asked the question mentally, uh, how many drow are on this ship? And I gave a random number. I'm like, there are Mm -hmm. 784 drow on this ship. And then he goes, okay, well, that's obviously no help. Um, how many living drow are on the ship? And he said, there is one living drow on this ship. And you're like, okay, fuck, that's it. That's, we know that's gotta be Saren. And then when that happened, shamash took it upon himself because in this um setting shamash is the last of the blue dragonborn all the other dragonborns are still around but the blue dragonborn had to wipe themselves out in a war hundreds of years years prior and somehow shamash was the last of his kind uh again very doctor who yeah mm-hmm. in it's in its style uh but he stuck his hand in and on a whim said to himself so asked the system how many blue dragonborn are on this ship and he got the response back there is one blue dragonborn on this ship at which point he went, "Oh
1: shit!"
0: Yeah, that was a big one. There's, there's another one of me here. There's another one of my people. <coughs> we can't leave the ship. We gotta do something here. Uh, so I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he got Saren. Yeah. Um, I think he might were able to c-
1: recall his pod to you. Yeah, I think we put that in a, an escape ship. I think we like directed that pod into a, a. Or we we either got him out of the pod and then found an escape, got him out of the pot he was in, then found an escape ship and put him in that. Or we took the pot, or we had the ship load the pod onto the escape ship. Because at a later point when we did split the party, because I remember, I think we had it, we had a, like an invisibility ring and we gave it to Drunin because he was already the stealthiest and he was going off doing a solo mission. I think to like either sabotage the ship or there was something I, I know he the, needed to
0: get. I know the bit you're talking about. He, this is later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a uh, part of the of the floor of the ship falls away, he fell down like three decks to a lower level and fell behind. And it was kind of a mad dash for him then to catch up with E because he, he mm. all made it over the hole. He didn't. Uh, and I think he either had a... It might have been a potion of invisibility. I don't think it was a ring. But he definitely was able to turn invisible in that moment. You're right. Uh, yep. Because otherwise he would have eaten alive by Mind flares. <laughs> Um Yeah, that would have so been a bad day. you got Saren. You head back to Narveen. And uh, through a series of events, you make your way inside the city, uh, fight your way up the central keep, which is a huge um, mm. pillar, uh, a natural occurring uh, stone if, pillar. Like if a... I
1: remember rightly, we didn't have to do an awful lot of fighting at the very start, because that was around the time when um, Shamash had started li- putting some levels into Bard, and he had Seeming. So he made uh, us all look like drow. Yes,
0: correct. He made you all look like drow. So he went into an underground passage uh, from the village that's outside Narvine mm. into the city proper. And then disguise yourselves looking like Trow. And then you were able to fairly easily make your way through. You walked up the multiple levels that were like, it's like a spiral um, interior, because the, the huge pillar was probably a couple hundred feet in diameter. And it was all hollowed out into an enormous fortress that spanned floor to ceiling inside of this cavern and mm-hmm. was like the central support. And you knew that from, again, locate object spells, because they're great like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys knew that the stone you were looking for, the Salica stone, was at the top of the tower. Fair enough. You make your way up, and you're zooming around, uh, or, or making your way up the stairs and stuff like that. And then, at a certain point, you're looking out one of the windows, uh, one of the archways, and a balcony on one of the upper levels. And you see one of the Mayan flare ships, and it kind of jumps in, goes, and it starts zooming around. You can see it's got a light scanning the area and sussing things out. All the drow immediately lose their minds, and we're like, we cannot let that ship escape. We have to take it down. If it gets back to the mothership, we are fucked. So... They all start firing from ballistas and stuff like that. You guys start firing at it as well. Mm -hmm. It manages to jump away. And you're thinking, oh, that's probably going to be a problem later on. (laughs) And you're not wrong. Uh, I think I should mention, basically, you get to the top of the tower, actually. You get to the top of the tower. You guys uh, fight the bad, the big bad of this arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get the stone. There's a very cool moment where uh, Sage picks up the stone and its power kind of accepts her. And she disintegrates a couple guys with some moonbeams. Um, and then she has this like vision of things. Uh, and you guys are like, right, we got the stone. Let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, and you start making your way back down. And as you're probably about the same point going back down as you saw the first ship, all of a sudden, <laughs> you watch as the capital ship jumps into the cavern where Narveen is located. The reason this happened, and I can't remember if I told you this before. Um, I think I may have at some point. Uh, What happened was when the guys were uh, posing posing these queries to the ship's computer, at first they were like, I want to open this door, I want to close this door, I want to make this elevator go. Those are pretty straightforward commands. But when you start asking very specifically weird questions, like how many drow are on the ship? How many drow are alive on the ship? How many blue dragonborn are on the ship? What you guys didn't know is that the ship's computer is actually an elder brain. Mm. And it started going, why would someone want to know how many living drow and blue dragonborn there are on this ship? And I think either, I think it was both Shamash and Drunin, uh, uh that failed a check, or that I was rolling checks for in the background. They both failed deception checks, I want to say, to prevent the, the elder brain from extracting information from them while they were connected to the network. Hmm uh so it probed their minds and as a result it knew exactly where narveen was and you guys didn't know this until the ship jumped into just like a couple hundred feet above the city instantly all hell breaks loose Mm -hmm. uh you guys uh jump into action start defending people all the shuttles are zooming around and they're shooting at some of the defenses and there are these swarms of like biomechanical
1: creatures that they're are like uh, themselves yeah they're like facehuggers some aliens
0: yeah like facehuggers uh, and they're like incapacitating people i think you tried to get one of them off someone uh, and you not quite high. Well. <laughs> that person was dead as soon as you disconnected it yeah yeah uh, and it's these were like their way of like incapacitating people for harvesting later uh and one of the best action sequences that we've had <laughs> in campaign one i think uh, so, kicks yeah. off um do you i know there's one you put play on do you want to mention one of them uh that you and
1: uh, oh, Sage, yes. Harris, have Monk were involved in. It was such a, like, we were there trying to think of what we could do, and, like, I was a paladin with not a lot of movement-arranged options. I was I basically built my character to be, like, a frontline destroyer. And as a consequence, when there are spaceships flying a couple hundred feet above, my greatsword just ain't long enough to hit it. <laughs> so I was trying to It think was a of, long greatsword, yeah, but it wasn't that long. I was trying to think of, like, what can I I do to be useful here? Because my usual shtick isn't going to work. So I was like, right, all right, what I can do is I can help the others be more effective. So uh, first thing I I did, because we had a lot of spellcasters, so it was that I straight away turned to um, Sage, our Woodhouse Monk, and she she had a history of being quite acrobatic with stuff and pulling off some really kind of, like, crazy, like, ninja John Woo kind of stuff. So uh, I turned around, and I, I ran, like... Twenty or thirty feet down the road, and just like hefted my shield, Captain America style, and we did the Captain America Black Widow boost scene from uh, the first Avengers film. Avengers Assemble, yeah, yeah 20, and shoot her up to the air. Yeah, I basically like rocket her up into the air. She uses her own elemental powers to further boost herself straight up into the air, into the path of a ship that's coming down, and just lands on it and casts shatter on her knuckles as she punches it, basically, and just that was one of my favorite things we did. Yeah. So
0: yeah. So they. One of my favorite things that they do, or that we kind of flavored for her as an elemental monk, was that we let her be a thing that when she casts shatter, it like emanates from her fist. Um. So she basically got flung into the air. The ship was coming to collide directly with her, and she punched the nose of the ship. Uh. And because shatter does like extra damage, so like double uh, damage to yeah, metal and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just, it just absolutely wrecked the ship.
1: It was... uh, and
0: it just went careening down into the city. It was pretty sweet. Uh, at the same time that's happening... Um... This is where the really crazy shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time that's happening, uh, Shamash looks at Drunan, our dwarf rogue, and he says, Drunan, take my hand. Drunan grabs his hand. He points at one of the ships up in the air and casts Dimension Door. And the two of them appear inside the shuttle where there are two mine flares. Uh, Drunin immediately turns around and is just like stab, stab, stab into one of the mind flares, uh, and he's just, he's killed instantly because I, at I this think point he, he got assassinated off as well. <laughs> he, he actually yeah. did, and he's an assassin, so he gets to crit automatically. He did a ton of damage and killed the mind flare instantly. The other mind flare. The way I have it so that uh, the mind players often control technology or whatever is that they integrate with it the same way you do those panels. Mm -hmm. uh, But the way they pilot the ship is again, Staggered Atlantis reference for those who uh, appreciate it uh, is that you sit into a chair and the chair. I can't do this without my audio going weird, (laughs) but it tips back. Yeah. Like that. (laughs) And (laughs) for for the audio listeners, uh, Connor just leaned back in his chair. Um, And you it, it basically uh you integrate with the ship so mm. your perception kind of becomes a ship you see things from the perspective of the ship as if it were a creature
1: very um what was that one the recently one um, prometheus style the space jockey from prometheus yes i very like the space jockey actually absolutely
0: um and uh this guy's in his chair but he's kind of unaware because like, when he's controlling the ship he's blind and deaf to what's happening in the ship itself mm. uh so smash being smash uh, runs up behind him, leans over the chair from behind, <laughs> over the back of the chair, and lightning breaths down into this guy's body who gets a total system shock from it, uh, and I believe is, I believe is killed or maybe he did something else as well mm. but the, that, that pilot was killed of course once the pilot's killed the craft begins careening towards the ground so Shamash hops into the chair and I have him make an intelligence check to see if you can integrate with the system uh, and he he manages it and all of a sudden, Shamash and Druun have commandeered a, an alien shuttle. <laughs> it's oh, like uh, it's like Independence Day.
1: <laughs> very. Oh man, it was it was both absolutely ridiculous and something I really should have seen coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The,
0: Mike Mike, when he was a full on spellcaster, was just uh, Mike, who, Mike who played Shamash uh, was just uh, both brilliant but also painful at times. Uh, there was times I looked at him and I'm like, oh, Do you have to? Okay, it's technically the rules, so fine. With uh, other times, and he just he do things, and I'd be like, "That was fucking cool. That was so damn cool." Uh, so he pulls up uh, near the ground, back where all the rest of you are still fighting, uh, and he's like, "Everyone on the ship, come on, we're going up to destroy the capital ship." <laughs> <laughs> so y'all hop on board, and you dock with the capital ship above the city, and the fight's still going on. The Drow are putting up a serious fight. Uh, the mine flares are are really hitting the city hard, though. Mm. So you're on a bit of a time crunch so you arrive inside there you fight your way to the ship and eventually arrive uh in the uh uh it's like the command center of... like the the, like the,
1: bridge, the bridge essentially like
0: exactly um now for the hardcore DD lore people you're not going to like the way i described the next scene because it is absolutely not in keeping with the lore of these two creatures i don't care <laughs> um, it, it's my D game i'll do what i want um so what happened was uh, you arrive in the in the bridge and there are two creatures in there. One of them is an Ilarathid, uh, which is like a large, it's a size large creature. It's like a bigger mind flayer with longer tentacles and stuff. And they hit a lot harder in there. They've got some better psychic abilities. So he is the pilot or the captain of the ship, essentially. Uh, behind him, in this briny pool of, of goo, is, uh, is the Elder Brain. And that's like the ship's central computer. Uh, a fight kicks off. And as soon as it does, within the first round or two, uh Saren who is with you, mm. gets mind controlled by the Alarithid. So already you're down one person. Uh so what what is it? We got Eru, Sage, Drunin, Shamash, Enna, and then Saren. Yeah. Instantly Saren's gone. Yeah. Uh then a couple of uh, Mind Blast abilities from the Ularathid and from the Elder Brain render the, the other four of you, or four of the rest of you, unconscious, because you all have relatively low intelligence. Yeah, Eru,
1: Eru. I think I at I think I, I most had a plus two. And that, No, actually, no, I had like nine int. I had nine ints, Eru. Yeah. Int, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so that was that. So the last person left alive, or not alive, rather, but uh, not stunned by the effect was enna because she's an arcane trickster and she has uh better saves on that kind of stuff uh so enna's left alive a thing i should mention about enna is that a few sessions prior and no one knew this bar enna and aaron the person who was playing enna uh is that she had picked up a talisman uh earlier in this maybe two sessions prior
1: this look you're seeing on my face is because i'm getting angry about it all over again
0: (laughs) it's one of my favorite favorite moments from the entirety of that campaign and just because uh aaron was not like playing a very long time in fact this was the first arc she had joined in for yeah this all, whole Underdark escapade um so when she turned when she turned around to me and texted me this at the table i lost my mind uh what this talisman did and i brought her into the other room when she got it and she had chewed into it i said okay you're evil now and she said what i said you're evil the talisman made you evil you are evil and she went oh okay." And I said, look, whatever that means for you or whatever you think your character would do if your character was evil, that's what your character is going to do now. So you're evil. She's like, cool, awesome. I'm down. And I'm like, excellent. And I told her, but if I'm if I'm being completely honest, I didn't have a lot of faith in Aaron to pull it off because again, she's very new to the game. I don't expect her to get the the complexities of, um, of alignment and stuff like that and how to kind of act against the team. It's very easy to join in a, t- a game mm. and go along with the party. But for me to kind of, I kind of threw in the deep end a little bit. Um, to go against a party like that is is a lot more difficult when you're kind of new to the game. She was brilliant. It was in that moment when one person was uh, under mind control, Saren, and the other four were stunned and floundering around on the floor that she turns to me and she says, oh, I want to try something. One sec. And she texts me something. And what she says to me is, hey, because I'm evil now, would now be a good time to see, steal the Salica stone from Sage and run away, and I I had like a fit of nervous laughter because I'm like, now is a good time, now is a good time. I kind of don't want you to do it because my fiance might kill me, but um, <laughs> but yeah, uh... now oh my god, that's like yeah, do it. So uh, I'm there freaking out because I had I had this was completely out of left field, uh, and I'm just thinking to myself. Oh God, what's going to, Second, I was going to try and fix my TV. There we go. Uh, I have a TV as my monitor and it's being stupid right now. Um, but yeah, so that happened and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So she, I describe everything from the perspective of Sage who has the stone on her person, um, uh, that they just gone. They, the entirety of her personal story was to recover this for her village. Ah, uh, she's floundering. Her vision's blurry. She's rolling around. She can't quite focus, and she sees her ally Enna coming for her, coming to help her. Oh, presumably, yeah. And I describe Enna leaning over her, blurry. It looks like she's going to grab her hold of her, maybe pick her up, but no, she's just rifling through her coat and her clothes and Tara at this point uh, Sage's player, is very confused and I think everyone at the table is very confused n- n-
1: I had no idea I had absolutely not I was like oh she's looking for like a potion she's going to like do something do you know like, I thought she was trying to be like helpful
0: <laughs> oh god yeah so <sighs> um I described then um, I I think I had to make an investigation check but she has proficiency and she's not a trickster mm. and high intelligence she had no problems so she finds the stone and I I described to Tara you see enna leaning over you uh rifling through your coat and you watch as she pulls out a glowing purple gem she looks at you smirks stuffs it in her own pocket casts invisibility and walks away and everyone lost their marbles and and tara was like what what and tara and aaron were working (laughs) together at the time she's like Uh... uh and i'm i'm like this is one of the best moments I've ever had in d d Just because uh, Aaron surprised me as a player. Mm-hmm. Because that is... that is If they're like... I don't know. You could like you, you could play that role of being the evil character and just maybe steal some personal belongings. Or maybe in a fight you decide, I'm going to join the bad guys. But that's all very... You know, there. To steal an ultra-powerful magic gem that is the, the MacGuffin of the quest.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, it was... And like beautiful. Also beautiful. that character's sole purpose for adventuring. <laughs> like the sole reason this character left their fucking home.
0: Yeah, exactly. She had been a, she had not left her because her village is like secret and in in a jungle. She had not left her village her entire life, because it's a pious law that you can't leave your village. But Sage left home. Because someone came in and stole that gem. And she said, "She said, even if it means I am exiled for the rest of my life, I will recover this gem and I will return it home. And then I will leave as well. Because I've broken our highest law. Uh, and that was her whole thing. And then she was able to lose it to this arcane trickster. Who had come in out of nowhere. Uh, and oh, it was so beautiful. So she leaves. And the only reason they know she leaves is because... She makes her way, you, you see her kind of as she's fading into invisibility, you see her kind of turning around and walking away. And then you see the door on the opposite end of the room open. And you're like, she just went out that door. Fuck, we gotta go after her. Uh, so you guys have to really, really, really quickly wrap up the fight with the Elder Braid and the Ilarithin. Uh I'm aware, again, for the people who are lore experts, I'm aware those two creatures don't normally work together. In fact, they're normally in opposition. It's, it's fantasy, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> And what happens is, the fight kind of wraps up. You guys start pursuing her. She tried to make her way to one of the shuttles so she could get off the ship and get away. She's on one of them. She's trying to figure out how to make it work, but uh, and she's kind of tweaking some stuff. I think I had to make a couple of checks, which she didn't do great at.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I was going I was panicking because I'm like, if she gets on the ship and flies away, how the hell do I run an arc <laughs> where they then have to find her and she's somewhere else? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know how this was gonna work out. Sorry, I bought my microphone. Uh, I need to get a better setup with this pop filter. It's really annoying. It's all good. Uh, So you guys uh, pursue her. You find her in the shuttle. Uh, And the layout of the shuttle is somewhat like the Puddle Jumpers, again, in Stargate Atlantis. I really like Stargate Atlantis. (laughs) Um, It's sort of like the Puddle Jumpers where there's a big glass uh, screen in the front. Uh, And at the back is like a, a ramp that lifts up and down for you to get in and out. So you guys come in there, I believe drunin being a rogue could dash so he like double dashed action bonus action uh, and he caught up with her first and he had a dire squirrel named binky who he had run around behind her um and tie her shoelaces from behind and i had the squirrel making self checks and slider hand checks and all this other shit uh, and he managed <laughs> to tie her laces together and i didn't tell aaron that this was happening i did so she's at the table and i'm kind of like I mean, I, I think I either wrote it on my phone or I was whispering stuff to Dan, I think and think I had like to make it a Facebook of...
1: messaging back and forth. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so she's not; she has no idea her shoelaces are tied. together. so dumb. <laughs> I love it, but it's so dumb. And then I think at one point she tried to move, and I had her fall flat in her face, um, and told her, "Oh, your shoelaces are tied together." And she's like, "What?" And then you arrive on the scene as the uh, as the uh, vengeance paladin. Uh,
1: and you're like, sorry about this. And you <laughs> clock her in the head with your Warhammer and knock her out. I specified non-lethal damage. I just want, I'm, uh, just did. to be clear, I specified non-lethal damage. You did. And it's actually really, like, you never really used the Warhammer unless you had to, uh, which is, again,
0: very rarely. It was normally your greatsword mm. guy. I did, uh, but I, the Warhammer, you I did have at some to... point for some reason.
1: Oh, I, I think I had one from starting say again i think i had one from starting i think it was just as part of my starting equipment or something oh okay been, uh yeah, but yeah i, I uh. just uh i just uh, choked up on that bad boy and smited the shit out of my party member
0: <laughs> uh so you knocked her out uh i think he then went okay now we have to get off the ship uh the other five of us plus our unconscious teammate and figure out why she turned against us
1: mm-hmm.
0: you do get the stone back but at this point oh and he- here okay For those who are wondering, when are they going to get to the The Doctor Who part? Uh, Here's the Doctor Who part. Uh, So if it wasn't cool enough that he teleported, that Shamash teleported onto uh, one of the ships and managed to commandeer it and get aboard the the shuttle or the the capital ship, uh, it was the most Doctor Who thing in the world. When he stayed behind after the Ularathid and Elderbrain were dead, and he went, oh, the Ularathid's chair, which he would use to pilot, is like a large-sized creature's chair. Well, here's where that handy spell Enlarge comes in handy again. And he casts Enlarge and sits into it. And I'm running through the rounds, and I'm I'm uh, talking about you guys, Enna uh, taking her turn, you guys pursuing her, tying the laces together, and I'm also coming back to him each turn and, and saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? So I believe the first one he did was recall all he... of the uh, facehugger creatures yeah, and recall he... all the shuttles. Mm-hmm. So send out a, a, a recall uh, message. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And I think I had to make an in check. And I'm like, yeah, cool. You do that. You successfully send the message to all the other shuttles. And as the, because your mind is now integrated with the capital ship, you can feel uh, all of them turning around and suddenly coming back. And that was his turn. Next turn comes around. What do you want to do? He's like, I want to, I think he wanted to set it on a collision course with the water, with the lake that surrounded uh, Narveen. If I'm not, or maybe set it to self-destruct. I
1: can't remember. So I, I think I remember why. Did so he he did that thing. He recalled all the ships. Yes. And then because Mike knows how to code and also databases work.
0: Yes, Mike is yeah. Mike is yeah. a programmer. So this he, is why his mind works this way.
1: He just pulled out literally the most Doctor Who thing I've ever heard. In that he recalled all the ships. And, like, this is why, like, it's completely, like, it's starting to destroy his brain as he's working with it as well. Because it's keyed oh, to right. an I,
0: I hadn't had taken, like, exhaustion levels. Yeah, he saw, he saw, uh, exhaustion,
1: and I think he took psychic damage as well at some stage. But, yeah. like, blood is, like, pouring out of his nostrils, like, Eleven style, as his brain is melting while he's trying to do all this. He recalls all the ships and deactivates all the facehuggers and recalls them to the ship. Then, while he's on the ship, he queries their database for information about the drow and about the dragonborn. And it comes back with, with like X amount of results, and he goes wipe all information. He clear he wipes their entire, basically their entire society's knowledge database from the ship. Then sets the ship to uh, jump out of the cavern back to the Fire Realm, and sets it on a self destruct timer for sixty seconds from now. And then he teleports out of the ship himself.
0: Uh, well, no, he didn't teleport out. He slumped out of the chair. So he did this. that? Oh, I think the last command. He... I think he said, "Yeah." I think that what he did was he set. He set it for self-destruct. Sorry, folks, this is like three years ago at the stage. Yeah, yeah this is a, a while back. Uh, it's still one of our best moments, I think. So, uh, and at this moment, by the way, I'm playing the song "I Am the Doctor" yes. from uh, the, I believe it's <laughs> from the Smith, uh, the Matt Smith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Matt Smith season. Uh, so everyone's super pumped. It's really, really great music. If you have to listen to it, it's "I Am the Doctor." um And he goes, All right, set a self destruct timer for 60 seconds or whatever it was. And I'm like, Okay, I have to make a check. And he does it. I'm like, Cool. And then I'm saying, Right, you're going kind to of notice that the ship is actually getting pretty pummeled anyway. The drow seems to be putting up a serious fight, especially since the Alarathin and Elderbrain are no longer in charge. Things are in disarray. So now the drow are turning the battle in their favor. Uh, and he's like, Can I do one more thing? I'm like, You can try, but you're going to be cutting things pretty tight. And he goes, I want to give one more command. And I'm like, All right, what is it? And I'm thinking, he wants to crash it. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. And he goes, I want to delete all information. And I'm like, what? He's like, I want to erase their entire database. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> that's everything. And the Elder Brain is dead. There's like no backup. It's like, that's all their information. Now it's, it's every every uh, area, every place they've ever been, where the ship has ever been, they'd lose everything. So he deletes that he slumps out of the chair having taken another level of exhaustion and he's he's uh nose is bleeding he's taking psychic damage and he kind of stumbles his way to catch up with you guys and at this point the ship is starting to come apart and you guys meet up with him begin racing off the ship as fast as you can as corridors are exploding uh like i said earlier one of the uh, floors collapses in and I have you all make athletics checks, and I think Drunum was the one who failed, and he fell down three decks to a lower level that was on fire. Uh, he drank the invisibility potion and had to climb his way back out, uh, but he was way, way behind you guys at this point. And you guys get to a shuttle first, start priming it up, uh, and he's on his way, and you're, you're, you're like holding on, and you're going, he's going to be here, he's going to be here soon, he's going to be here soon. Uh, and I remember telling him, you know, like, describing him running through the corridors and he like goes to turn down one corridor and then has to turn back because he just sees a wall of illithid coming at him and they're all frantic and flailing and their tentacles are going mental Uh, and he eventually makes it to you guys onto the ship the ship launches out of the capital the shuttle launches out of the capital ship in the same way that the fighters launch in Battlestar Galactica, just through this shoot of a tunnel and it goes (laughs) out the the other end uh you zoom away uh, and there is a a teleport feature on the ship and it works like the spell teleport uh and i tell because the way they kind of have to charge off the capital ship and uh i believe drunan is piloting at this point because shamash yeah. is
1: in bits his and brain is be... in ruins
0: yeah i think he was the next most intelligent person if i'm not mistaken probably yeah. on par with sage maybe but uh because Enna's unconscious she is the most intelligent and then shamash would have been up there as well he had yeah. a decent in-, in score uh so drunan hops in the chair and he flies you guys out and he goes teleport and he teleports you guys because he is familiar with the location he teleports you guys to home which is dragon's hold your uh, your keep that you recently acquired uh right as in the background so you guys watch your ship go and just disappear into the ether uh and behind you see the the illithic capital ship go and explode in the cavern uh, saving Narveen, recovering the gem, defeating the bad guy and destroying the Elder Brain and Hilarithid, all in one swift
1: stroke. Mm-hmm. And I believe he finished the uh, the final command he gave when he said delete all information and set it away. I believe he directly quoted Matt Smith. Oh, not Matt Smith. Um, was it Matt Smith? I think it might- yeah. no. was he Matt Smith or Tennant. No, I think might. it was Tennant, but he goes, just this once nobody dies, and then hit the button and then went off, and it was the most Doctor Who thing in the world, but well, I am oh. the Doctor playing behind it
0: i could be mistaken but that might be eccleson i think
1: that's eccleson no because let's not have a doctor who argument on the on a DD podcast (laughs) it's not that podcast but uh, that's a different podcast uh join us next week
0: on our who podcast Uh, oh no no
1: (laughs) more mike will be replacing me (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) but uh yeah that was the story of the battle of narveen um uh, probably just for the numerous between the Avenger style uh, way that the fight kicked off um the way that you guys infiltrated the Illithid ship, but uh, unknowing to you, the Illithid kind of infiltrated your minds and located mm. Narveen, uh, the fight with the Alarithid and becoming evil. Uh, Mike being a total doctor who and setting the self-destruct and wiping all their information and stuff like that. It was just one of like the best, arcs so it was it, yeah. i think that entire thing encompassed maybe maybe three sessions
1: yeah it, it, it was, was about, from it was the about a from start to yeah. end yeah
0: and it was just absolutely fantastic yeah it, and to this day to this day i'm still very much um I, I look back on that fondly as like the high point of the previous campaign for me anyway yeah. I, I just thought that so much stuff caught me off guard as the dungeon master that i was like this is this is top you know
1: yeah absolutely Cool. So what's what's next, Con?
0: What's next on the agenda? Let me have a look at my notes here while I adjust my phone. Do what I tell you. <laughs> Stupid
1: phone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, believe nope. it's, I believe it's kind of tied in, isn't it? My phone? No, uh, what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> oh. Uh, yes, actually, you could say
0: that. Um, poor segue, Martin... Uh, how do you handle bosses in your d d games
1: okay so that's an
0: interesting one because I need hey. to apologize that was the worst transition ever I was all over <laughs> the place for like a, a solid 20 something seconds there I'm so sorry Martin, please continue it's all it's all good it's all different
1: <laughs> uh it happens to the best of us but yeah uh I just kind of performance issues am i right oh god I've, yeah <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll uh we'll leave that and uh, we'll leave that for another podcast maybe uh, but yeah, I kind of had mine. I wrote some notes earlier when I when I had an idea. But it's the way I, I normally do it is, um, I think you can break them down into two kinds, um, boss battles. Um, either I suppose you can you can do similar things with villains as well, where either they are player centric or world centric, is how I like to describe it. In that, um the boss battle or even just the boss itself like the villain it can the player-centric one is is kind of self-explanatory it's either something that's motivated by a player backstory or part of a player backstory or their ongoing quest to whatever kind of a destiny or goal they have yeah, um it's like,
0: like it to, to call back to the what we just discussed the story we just told in the case of sage's um
1: uh, arc there was the thief who stole her stone that mm-hmm. is the the villain who motivated her her quest yeah absolutely um and that if you're going to do it that way i think the best way to do it is to have a mix of both um like i i know some people do entirely player driven narrative worlds and entirely just world driven where, where like the world happens around the players and they get caught up in world events rather than the players being the driving force behind the narrative um yep. personally i lean more towards player centric but i do still have stuff that just happens in the world as it as it's going on um and i think with boss battles as well that's where you get into like you can so player-centric then would be like a rival or a villain or maybe just like uh some feast that they have to accomplish, like climb the tallest mountain in the realm or something like that to a peace of God. Um, go on a on a pilgrimage of some kind, maybe. Yeah. And then um world-centric quest would be stuff like say your players are just happen to be journeying through an area and they find, like, a, villi- a village burned and in ruins. And the whole thing has been burnt to ash and just every- there's no one left alive. And then they hear a roar from a mountain nearby. And they're like, okay, that, and they have to go then to- and find, obviously, the dragon that did this and go and mm-hmm. take care of that. And that's what I would talk describe as sort of like a world-centric boss in that it's this thing that exists in the world on its own independently from the party and influences things around it in the same way that the PCs do.
0: Very good. Yeah, absolutely. I think we both have some uh, a lot of experience with um, there being, like you said, world-centric mm-hmm. enemies—people that maybe the DM has uh, manifested within you know, the homebrew world, or maybe the you know the set world, the mm-hmm. even published world that they uh, that they are running. And then you obviously have your your rivals, your uh, arch enemies of your players. You know, they have their own particular um, what's the word I'm looking for? Quarries. Quarries is the word I'm looking for um yeah and uh, and i think we both have some some good examples you have any examples of a of a player base enemy of a player centric enemy
1: uh yeah actually um i think pretty good one um it's actually one of probably it's probably like the first big um like play, player centric arc i did was related to um i have a cf uh cf uh splash buckler called a in my party and he's got some very strong kind of prince zuko vibes he's uh, he's like the outcast, the best written character yeah. in anything ever. <laughs> he's, uh, but he's he's the outcast son of the duke of the of the capital sea city. It's called Suraus Um and it's actually half it exists above land for um, air breathers who come to do work and business in the city. And there's like a giant slope down into the sea. Um, and then the city... airbreathers
0: sounds
1: like it's a racial <laughs> I, I don't think
0: you're allowed to say airbreathers anymore, anymore it.
1: It, it felt weird saying it all right um but then the rest <laughs> of the city is below is below um is below the sea and so a cult based out of that city attacked and uh, attacked a festival in a city that the party had been operating out of for their first say, like four or five quests of so like they're not their home base technically but like just their main like quest hub shall we say Um, So they attacked that and they did that to steal an artifact and bring and and take that away. And that led to them going to that city. And by the end of it, then the final boss battle of that fight was there. They discovered that the cult that attacked the city is actually being supported by the royal family and is led by Arandir's father, the Duke. And that was that was my big play. I got to have a me and him got to have a cool, like, Darth Vader moment where they interrupt a ritual to summon a, this Eldritch Sea God and bring it and bring it in through the plane. And uh, I did the whole, like, villain father monologue. And you know, I was like, oh, I've known you since you were a child. You know, like, join me. Take your rightful place at my side. Kind Together of thing. we could rule the yeah. galaxy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so there's this whole thing. It was really cool. He gave me a lot to work it um, with his background in that. He said he was a... Uh, he was like a prince who disagreed. He had a duel with his father. His father shot off a piece of his ear. He injured his father. Then he was exiled, and he hadn't been home in fifty years. And at some point in the last fifty years, when he had been sailing from home, from the place he had been, um, his ship was attacked by this mystery sea beast and destroyed. Um, he gave me that hook, and I was I tangled the sea beast thing for a while. I, I was looking at what Matt Mercer was doing with Ford and Critical Role because it was a very similar kind of um, yeah kind of subject matter. And obviously you don't want to copy that exactly, even regardless of how well it's done. You don't just want to retread someone else's ideas. Um, so this is where it started coming in, where um, he, he, that hook he gave me, I tied that back then in as a revelation in the boss battle, before the boss battle started, where Arandir, the, the CL swashbuckler, he was supposed to be the original vessel for this house, because they have a bloodline descended from... Like the the very first seals because they're the royal family he was supposed to host this sea guy in him but because they had their jewel and their and their um sort of disagreement and he was banished he couldn't a- act as the vessel so his father attempted the ritual with himself in- instead but the, it was vessels for the thing it needed to be perfect it wasn't perfect so he could only summon a small portion of it so he used that small portion of power to sink that ship.
0: That kind of reminds me a uh, a little bit of Final Fantasy X, actually. Yeah, like I, the, the summoning of Sin and uh, and who was it? Like the the way that you Sin kind and, of, Jekt the, and Titus. Yeah, and like Jekt became Sin. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I
1: I think I understand Final Fantasy X. Towers explains me no that, time. that's uh, that, that that's that's pretty much it. it, it, it it's a confusing yeah. game in and of itself. Uh, oh but yeah. My God. And I did actually pull it from Final Fantasy X for It was I hadn't played it, but I, it was one of those things where I went over to my friend's house when I was younger and I watched them play yeah, through yeah. it um so i kind of it was a bit of that i, I pulled heavily from like, the zuko stuff a, li- a little bit of pirates of the caribbean and also with um just the first what, three films right yes of course <laughs> um and then just as well was kind of pulling elements from um to seeing how matt mercer was handling that because like who what, what better kind of a touchstone to see how people are working out these nautical themes and this elder god stuff yeah absolutely um and i had this all written before um Matt had basically laid out a really good blueprint for doing like an elder God kind of thing to do with the sea. Um, so I, I really appreciated it when it came time to write more, to have an idea, you know? Um, but again, it was, I still tried to kind of keep it my own, but yeah, that, that's kind of what I would say in terms of like a game I've ran, probably my, my favorite, my best example of like a player driven one, it was a lot of to do with like their relationship. And so tied up in his backstory and kind of resolving his, reason for why he's out here adventuring now and kind of seeing where that left him afterwards. It's like, so with stuff like that, it gives a lot of opportunity to shed old character traits and maybe take on a couple of new ones. Like if, uh, like yep. he, so a good example of this is before, before that point, And actually before he got to that, that city, he had not told any of the party that he was this, uh, exiled prince. And um, he went by a different name. Right. He was called Arandir Corsair. Um, and then once he defeated his father and kind of accepted the thing and like as part of the thing they defeated defeat so they defeat his father, stopped the ritual. But uh, so the thing's spirit wasn't summoned in, but its body had been basically fossilized in the city from the previous time it was summoned. And that reawakened right. as the as the um as the sort of like the barrier between the realms thinned and was pierced during this ritual. And so they beat, they beat him, but outside this mindless like Eldritch monster body is still rampaging through the oh, city. Okay. So, then so this had... is
0: without the the consciousness of the god. It's just
1: a powerful yeah, physical creature. It's, it's just like a giant mass of like writhing mouths and tentacles and eyes. And I just went terrified. F- full theater of the mind with these guys as it rampaged over. It was like, what do you want to do? And the first thing he done because he kind of like as part of this whole battle, he had kind of accepted. Who he was, and he revealed to his party that he was not around their corsair. He was around their dude here, which is the the, the royal family of the city. And then, straight off after that boss fight, he, they come out and they're all trying to save the city. He runs up to a legion of um like uh, battle-entrenched city wall city guard. They're called um in the, I think I called them yeah they're, they're the squall guard is what I call them. Yes. Um, and he basically runs up there all there, and the party kind of take out the immediate. They kind of. Start giving orders and clearing people out, and uh, he runs up to the guards and they're like, he's like, "Do this, 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 and this," and they're like, "Who are you? Why should we listen to?" You? And that's when he goes, and he did the full Aragorn. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. He did. The, he <laughs> he got that moment, and he got to do the full like, "I am the forgotten prince that had just returned." And so this, that's and so on.
0: satisfying yeah. as a player when you get to when you get to have a reveal because it's it's a common thing where players will have a hidden mm. identity or a hidden part of their past and when you finally get to go i am this but you get to do it in a in a satisfying and like theatrical and dramatic way uh this there's, there's yeah. really nothing like it yeah so um,
1: and 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 from then on now he's gone by his real name instead of uh, his, yeah. his pseudonym corsair which is fitting because the corsair is a pirate and he was a pirate yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, like you
0: like you said there's, there's some there's such a good opportunity for character growth mm-hmm. in in uh, personal player-driven arcs uh, where you get to handle where the boss is your father or your men, your old mentor or maybe like your your enemy from a young age. Maybe you were next door yeah. neighbors and you just hated each other. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but like getting to evolve your character, step up a level or it's, it's a good opportunity as well. If you're playing a character and you find like maybe you're not totally satisfied with how you're playing it or whatever but you feel like you can't just unjustly change the way the character acts when a big revelation or a big moment happens oh my god recreate your character entirely that's that's your opportunity to go i've now taken on new information i can now justify my character having this whole other life whether that be for better or for
1: worse and you know it can go both ways absolutely yeah and like even if it's just like superficially even if you're just going to like change something about how your character looks maybe like in the case of like an exile of noble maybe after you finish that quest and you've kind of either redeemed yourself or your family name or something like that maybe now instead of going around just with a cloak on you you have like a cloak with a brooch with your family sigil on it to signify that you are now no, exactly, accepted who yeah. you are um it doesn't like like i said it doesn't have to dramatically change how you play your character who you are as a character but it's always good to just try and build in some subtle Um, or just some subtle sign of like personal development or change even if it's just aesthetically
0: Uh, and you mentioned something there as well about uh, about uh, players giving you a lot to work with Mm. um, because I've been in situations where players haven't given me a lot to run with um, and you do what you can, you try to work in characters and stuff like that um, but honestly I feel as though the best way to handle it is to try and incorporate some you don't have to go super heavy if you don't want to uh, but always try to have a mix between player-driven, like individual player slash character-driven quests, and the quests that you as a DM want to run within the world. Absolutely. So for what you said there, that was very much a player-driven arc. But if you have other things going on as well, regardless of what the breakdown is, whether it's 50-50, 90-10, yeah. 70-30, doesn't matter. Whatever breakdown you want, as long as you're getting a bit of a balance, because I've had, like I said, I've had players in our first campaign. We had a couple of players that joined in; that didn't stick around for long. Um, and it's because, well, okay, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, it's because I feel like when they don't give you a lot to work with, a player doesn't give you like a, even even a remote backstory, you know. Um, and one of these players isn't there was there was a dwarf fighter uh, who was in the party very early on, um, and he only stuck around for a couple of sessions. But he literally he didn't actually have a backstory at all he he didn't really have much interest in writing it that's a whole other thing players mm. not really
1: um, we can get that we can get to again. that another day and we can try and discuss how to like get people to buy in
0: yeah yeah absolutely and it, it's uh just a, as a quick rule it's perfectly acceptable for any for people to have different levels or different types of buy-in as well you know whether it's i want to do the whole acting out my character and being dramatic or i want to i'm just here for the fight i mm-hmm. just want to roll dice and hit things that's fine too that's fine too as long as everyone gets their their turn everyone gets a moment at the table but, yeah, I feel like uh, on, on the uh, other side of things like that, uh, when a player does give you something to work with, uh, uh, and particularly you can work that into the world, mm. uh, you can get some absolutely fantastic, uh, like, backstories and stuff like that. Like, again, to come back to the whole Narveen thing and Sage and trying to recover the Salica stone, um, in her backstory when Tara wrote it, she said, oh, yeah, the stone was stolen and witnesses say that the stone was stolen by a drought. So now, as a result, Sage is like, I know a Drow stole it, but I don't know why, and I don't know where they are. So I have to find out where Drow might go. And this led to the whole trying to find Narveen. But then at the same time, uh, a friend of ours who uh, was playing Saren originally he wanted to play a drow completely i had had separate conversations in different houses with <laughs> what you want to play and what class you want to play and he said oh drow like a dark elf seems really cool and i'm like yeah drow are awesome uh and he, he's like can i be like a drow that's like all this and i want to have this edgy background but maybe i'm exiled from my city and all that and i'm like yeah you can totally do all that and then i said because they both gave me so much to work with i immediately think huh sacred stone stolen by a drow playing a drow exile from your home and i was able to like melt through those so beautifully Mm -hmm. into one another um it still it still annoys me a little bit to this day that that player didn't stick around because i genuinely think he would have loved the revelation of oh the drow that stole that stone is from your former home city Mm mm-hmm you know, I mean, you kind of meld those two in. It's great, like, it's, it's good to have player arcs that are individual player arcs, but also when you can link multiple people in and get the buy-in. Like, currently, at the moment now, we're kind of doing in our in our own game uh, that I'm running, our uh, our Warlock uh, is currently on his kind of unravelling the cult behind his Elder God uh, thing, his kind of quest. And we recently got a new player joining in with our friend Gavin, uh, and Gavin is playing a Bloodhunter who has a specific... Uh, thing against aberrations and the fire realm and all these other creatures mm. uh so now it's currently i think the two of them are very invested because they it, it's a, it's a similar theme that melds in very well with both of them and like i said it's it's great to have one player who's like this is my quest and we're going on my quest and everyone's like it's your turn to go on a quest let's go on a quest <laughs> uh, and then uh, but if, if you can get more than one person at the table to really heavily invest if if players are like oh yeah i'm playing a, a human and my my uncle betrayed our family. And someone else is like, oh, I'm playing a, a human and I'm looking for my lost father. What if your uncle is this person's father? And immediately that's such heavy
1: buy-in yeah. for the players. I, thought, I, I honestly thought you were going to say line. like, I'm an uncle who betrayed my family. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh... <laughs> oh God. Quickest resolution of a player backstory ever. Session one, you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah session one you stack in the game that nearly happened character. in our first campaign oh yes yeah oh, yeah. oh yeah. The, let's the not let's, let's not get into that though That'll that's be, a whole other thing. whole other um,
0: but yes uh, so we started uh, we got a bit of a tangent there we were talking about boss characters mm-hmm. um so we'll say on obviously that's about setting up from a story perspective a boss an enemy someone you can make a target or make a goal you know there's a yeah. goal that surrounds them whether it's to recover a magic item like a gem or to kill them because they're ahead of a cult like they are in your one uh side note i love
1: all of the world building you did for syrith what's it called sir syrith laura that's uh the my, my, my player uh steve er, irander he he's done actually named i think it means like the city of flowing gold in elvish oh, very nice uh
0: it's it's so i love the the upper Surface level, the yeah. underwater level, uh, the way that the the squall guard, what they called squall guard, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that as well. Uh, and you also had like shark racing. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah, yeah.
1: I was trying to think of because they were doing stuff where they were explo- they were doing urban exploration. And I wanted to have stuff for them to do other than just hunt this guy down or just mm-hmm. stuff to do in a city anyway. And I was like, what can they do? And I think if I'm off, if I remember right, I think like uh, they can like low level talk to fish or sea animals, uh, sea elves. I, I believe so. They yeah. can talk to. Creatures that can breathe water. Yeah. If I, if so, I, I I, right. so narratively, I had to do like, what would they do for fun? And I was like, oh, well, like horse racing doesn't exist um, underwater. And like I didn't want to do like sea horse racing. So I was like, oh, li- like shark racing. And it, except on, except it's uh, instead of going horizontally across a field of jumps, it's like a vertical up a cannon, cannon gorge with all these balconies built either side. And there's like rings that are turned at different angles and different ways that have to like swim the shark through it all.
0: Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's one of you. You sent me plenty of notes when you were kind of asking me what I think of it and stuff like that. And Honestly, I I was both super super impressed because I honestly I'm like I want to I want to I want to be a, a person. I want that to be a video game and I want to explore that. And I was all super jealous because I'm like, oh, now I can't do something like this in my world. i copying them. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so good. It honestly it's one of my favorite things. But I'm back on bosses, mm. I'm distracting myself. I know. Man. I'm all over yeah. the place today uh so what changes if you if you have a boss character from a mechanical perspective mm. so it's coming up on the final fight or the players are encountering them for the first time and as a rule of thumb it's good to have your players encounter a boss a couple times before the final fight because yeah. then there's there's you know oh that guy got a crit on me in the previous fight i have a i have a, a vendetta to get against them yeah um so yeah. what kind of stuff do you do on the back end to a stat block or to a boss to make them a boss you know
1: Okay, so um, I haven't done a huge amount. So with the with that with that battle there with um that we we're talking about with the with the sea elephant and his father, um, I used a kraken priest as a stat yes. block for that because it just seemed too perfectly appropriate. Um, yeah, very cool, uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool. It's exactly. got a it's 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 a cool looking creature. It's got some really cool abilities. Um, you can it's got a I think it's got a, a recharge ability where the kraken speaks through it, and everyone around can get it's either stunned or feared for a minute. Um, is it's it's like a thunder ability or is that, no, that it's a uh, melee touch attack. Yeah, yeah, they've they've they a melee touch that does lightning damage, but they've a mm-hmm. they've a, a reha- recharge ability similar to like a Dragon's Breath called Voice of the Kraken, and it's literally the kraken speaks through them, and it's I think it's like a wisdom saver. or they're you're stunned or afraid. Um, but it was really Pretty cool. cool. So, I, I didn't actually mess with that too much because that was really, really perfect. Um, One I did mess with a little was a boss battle I came up with. Um, My current arc that we're doing is like a, a classic horror movie monster kind of werewolves and uh, werewolves and undead and, and the whole thing. And there's yeah. like, like one that my... I've, I got some new party members recently. One of them is basically like a witcher type character. Um, so we're doing a thing where like it's him, it's his or him representing his organization versus like an anti-witcher organization kind of like, it's kind of a, like a fallen disciple kind of storyline. Um, and, uh, as part of the thing, uh, the enemies became aware of the party through um, unfortunate circumstances and, and, and errors of judgment by the party, um, okay. <laughs> and so they set up a, an ambush because they knew the party were helping the city to defend from their their the other enemy, like in Thrawberry. Uh, so they set up a they set up a, an ambush where it was two, uh, it was a frost giant zombie and a frost giant skeleton, and this is this is a recent thing, and I was trying to up the difficulty of my boss fights a bit. And I overstepped the bounds just a tad. Just a tad. (laughs) Um, And I realized I had overstepped the bounds just a tad. And I'll get on to change stat blocks now. Um, Because on the first round after combat happened, the guys came down. And my original plan for it was, right, it was the the place they were going to was like a rallying point for the enemy army near the city that was hidden in, like, a gorge. So, like, the the land is, like, here. And there's, like, a drop down here that leads down and kind of goes around to a wider area that's sunken into the ground where you could, like, hide like probably like 50, 60 forces or whatever. And then there for
0: was... their audio listeners, Martin just made very very, very good hand gestures
1: about gorges. Oh god, sorry. Yeah, it's like a step, it's like a step-level thing. It's um... like a down place, the down place. <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I talk my hands a lot. <laughs> uh, but basically they, my plan was for them to go down there, they go down the gorge, they travel through there, they then they'd go into a cave where they would find a letter addressed to the blood hunter in the party from the leader of the enemy order, going like Thank you for thank you for basically going. Thanks for letting me know you were here. Hope you enjoy the surprise. They walk outside. Giant skeleton and giant zombie get up. Fight starts. They didn't go in there first. First, they tried to harvest bones and organs from the giant corpses. I
0: don't, I, okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't even... Yeah. Um, so the like the sorceress tries to pull a toenail out because she's seen she knows that there's toenails in the frost giant strength potion. Oh, clever. Very uh, clever. <laughs> the, the rogue takes out a dagger in each hand and starts ice pick climbing up the zombie to try and get to his heart. They wake up for in initiative rolls. We start, and the dru- and our druid, Mike Mandry, he's standing pretty close and he decides that he's going to run out of their range to get away from them. And he's just going to, but he's just going to take the opportunity attack because he 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 figures it'll be one it'll be a giant. He'll take the opportunity attack. Okay. What he didn't realize was that both of those characters have a reach of I think it's ten or fifteen feet. So he took an opportunity attack from each of them, took fifty-two points of slashing damage in a round, and was dropped to fifteen HP from full in on his first turn. Um. So naturally had the desired effect i wanted for the party where i went oh shit this is a serious boss fight. this is bad yeah. but also had the effect of me where i went oh shit i need to nerf this now <laughs> yeah. so uh what i did was on the fly i stripped out one attack from each of them because they had two attacks and they rolled 3d12 plus six for each attack <laughs> so i stripped an attack out of each of them and then the giant zombie the frustrating zombie had an it's like i think it's called the freezing glare attack and it does uh, yeah it's in explorer's guide to wildfire yeah it? it is it is it yeah, does everyone, um yeah. it does like uh it, it paralyzes you if you fail it and it also does 10 d6 coal damage now i stripped out uh, just judging by my characters like they don't they have one tank and then they've the rest is squish um pretty pretty squished they're, they're hard to hit but if they get hit they don't have a lot of hit points yeah. Um, so i immediately stripped out the damage out of the call lividly took one attack off each of them and it was like right i think this is a reasonable level now and uh kind of let it go and it did and it, it ended up being a very dramatic kind of thing because the guys got the guys got very into it very kind of scared and as well um they still hit hard even though they only had one attack it's still 3d 12 plus 6 with a plus 10 to hit like it's it's a fairly likely hit and it's going to hit hard yeah <clears throat> and only my bloodhunter had resistance to bludgeoning piercing or stashing so everyone else was taking that straight to the face uh, yeah. so it still made it really tense and it made it um an exciting battle and it had a really really cool conclusion the sorcerer twin spelled lightning chromatic orbs and just blew both of them up it was really cool um but yeah it was still it, that was kind of an example of a time where i had to really really tweak the stack block on the fly because i had i thought raw going in rules as written they would have been fine And you know, it doesn't say when it says deadly on the combat difficulty encounter, it doesn't go deadly. Deadly one, deadly two, deadly three. You know, <laughs> yeah. Once it passes that mark, it doesn't tell you if it gets any higher. Yeah. level above. So yeah. yeah. So that that was a uh, because I'm very much still I consider myself still learning when it comes to like creating and gaming and stuff like um the like descriptive and not uh, writing and stuff that's the kind of stuff I've done all through life like writing and come and I've, stuff I've kind of looked into and, and read and been good with, but like the the actual stat block tweaking and designing stuff is stuff I'm still kind of learning. Um, so that's think, kind of the uh, only one I can really give, but I'm sure you have way better ones. Uh, I have,
0: a, I, have a couple, uh, I've, you know, obviously I've run a whole campaign for like three years with you guys. and uh, now we have another, I, I want to say two years, but we haven't been playing much <laughs> recently for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, that's a really memorable encounter though. And like a really good learning point, I think actually for anyone listening, anyone, any DMS out there, um, that it is 100% okay to change things on the fly. Um, if you to to try and because and and this is a skill you want to develop it's a muscle you want to kind of like practice with and um but i've often been in situations running games for you guys where you start an encounter uh and you think to yourself yeah this should be fine this should be like tough but like not too bad and that you want to hit that sweet spot where it's like this is tough but doable
1: yeah you want want to to finish with one hp going holy shit
0: (laughs) yeah sort of you want them to take a, a couple hits uh, and maybe one or two super heavy attacks, mm-hmm. you know, um, but not. And maybe one person out of four gets downed, but they they still handily manage the fight. It was tough, but they handily managed it. Um, but like you said, in situations like that, it can often, <laughs> and even, uh, like I know you say you're mm-hmm. you, you consider yourself to be still learning, but I know you've been doing DMing for a while. I I still consider myself to be learning, and I've been DMing for four or five years, uh, five years, if you know, yeah, uh, but. I still consider myself to be learning as well and it's still oftentimes we will make these kind of judgments of error. Uh, And like I said, it's totally okay if in the first round of combat when you're running two rogues against you, they both manage to get off double sneak attack in a round and do 100 plus damage on a monster with 180 health and you're like, well, Uh... this will last two rounds. Uh, Guess what? Scribble, scribble, scribble. Now it has 300 health. (laughs) Um, And you can kind of like, you can kind of bluff your way through it. Uh, I think some some people will listen to that now and they will disagree with that because some people like playing Mm the game with hard rules and playing it as it is Um, and I agree that there's there's a time for that but also I think that there's a time to create because I personally I play for a story I play for drama and conflict and resolution and I think there's some times where you can tweak stuff on the back end on the fly to go this is too hard to encounter or this is too easy to encounter i want to hit that sweet spot where it's challenging but doable uh so yeah i think that's a really good tip for anyone out there who is trying to create tense memorable action-packed moments um it's okay if it's too hard at first for yeah. you to go well maybe he does two attacks instead of three uh or to say well they just knocked out half his health in one round maybe he has a few more hit points so he can last at least one more round
1: yeah, and sort of uh, side-related that, I suppose, as well. It's something that I do often enough, not super often, but if, if, if I feel it's necessary and warranted, I'll do it. I, I, I'd I imagine it's something you might do as well. I'm not sure because I, I, I tend to not ask you about behind-the-screen stuff because I'm playing. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but uh, if someone hasn't gotten a killing blow in a while and they're next in an initiative... And it's not like a story boss; it's just a, a fight or like a particularly like Joe. You know, like yeah. you come across a giant, or you come across it, or so, you know, something impressive, something that that if you whoever kills it, it's going to be a moment. Um, if a particular player hasn't gotten a moment to shine recently, and they're next in the initiative order, and so the person who actually kills it has killed something recently, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, that's a very heavy hit," and I'll give it a cool description to make that player feel good about that attack. Yeah, um, and then I we'll, go, and he's just hanging on and i'll say like yeah he has one hit point left now and then i'll go to the next person i want to to like give a little shine to to give them yeah yeah Yeah.
0: Uh, and sometimes there's stuff like i i've done that occasionally Mostly, if it's a story or boss, thing, yeah. it's like this is my nemesis. But what if the person just before you with initiative order gets the final hit? Sometimes I might do that, where I'm like, "Oh, they're so close; they have three hit points left." <laughs> and then, uh, which I, I don't do it all the time, yeah. um, and it's—I don't think there's much wrong with that because it's not like you're breaking the game. That person was dead anyway. Yeah. You're just giving the player. Who wants this person dead? Who they you know they are the nemesis of this person. Uh, you're just giving them the satisfaction of being able to kill the person that they want to kill, and and uh, I think that can be uh, good from a story perspective because it's I don't know if uh, if in uh, Return of the Jedi. Han Solo showed up and shot, uh, shot the Emperor and, or Darth Vader and Luke didn't get to do anything it'd be kind of like well thanks Han I mean I'm glad he's dead now but at the same time I Luke was kind of meant to do that whole thing you know Yeah, yeah, uh, it, yeah. this it, wasn't it, really it, your arc what the hell like, are you doing here it's like
1: Arya killing the Night King in Game of Thrones like the entire story builds Jon Snow to be the person who takes him out and then sort Arya of, kills yeah, him yeah. Uh,
0: and, then, you know. and then Arya don't get wrong Drop the knife, awesome. great move.
1: Awesome. Like, yeah.
0: But uh but yeah, totally. It, it's exactly that. Um and I think sometimes it's good to subvert expectations, uh, but you don't want to be Ryan Johnson about it. Um <laughs> where you're subverting expectations just for the sake of
1: it uh it's probably a good thing we did that in like episode three rather than like episode like 50 when we have more people <laughs> watching lose and half, like <laughs> lose half
0: of the star wars fan base <laughs> no you just
1: you just get eviscerated in the comments <laughs> like, I, like i i mean for, oh god i mentioned game of thrones oh no
0: <laughs> yeah for, for what it's worth um i, I actually after having I, like i had a, a thing with ryan johnson after last jenny uh but then when i actually saw knives out i'm like you know what He's fucking good, because Mm -hmm. Knives Out's a great movie, and you should totally watch it. Um, But yeah, I think that's some good stuff about uh, bosses. I think just uh, one of the things I was thinking is, well, mechanically on the back end, in order to make maybe a regular creature, maybe you're like, well, I don't have Mm a... Like, at at early levels, you know, challenge rating 1 to Mm 5, there isn't a lot of, like, super powerful creatures that can be bosses, but what if you want to make one? Take a challenge rating 3 creature and give it a couple legendary resistances or legendary actions, um, or even reactions, you know, or give it some spell casting if it doesn't already have it. Yeah. Stuff like that can buff out a baddie, particularly the legendary stuff, nice. because it's not overpowering them, but when it, it there's nothing that makes a boss seem more like a boss. when you Then when you cast a spell against them, and you're like, oh, fireball, and they fail... But then they legendary resisted because they're the fucking boss, man. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it, it. It makes a it makes a point about that particular yeah. baddie that they're not just any old baddie. They're special, you know. Yeah. They're the captain. They're the general. They're the archmage, you know. Yeah, uh, I think and I um, think that that's
1: an important thing. I think what could be a cool idea for maybe like a future episode, and um, if people want to see it, is we could maybe. Go through how to do that. Like we could pull up, uh, we could screen share using um, DnD Beyond, yeah. and maybe um, you could you could go through because I think it'd be better. Off, I think it'd be better for you to do because you have more experience in in that kind of stuff and kind of editing sure, plots, yeah, stuff yeah. like that than me. But maybe we we could maybe like screen share me and mean you can talk over it while we design some kind of a new monster. Or, you know, maybe like buff like a wyvern up to legendary or something cool like that.
0: Let's wait till I get my new keyboard because I can't type on this one anymore. <laughs> after my Mac, I, I type on Mac for work, and it's so. Like, like shallow. Hmm. And now I try to do this, and my fingers are caught on the keys constantly. Cool. Uh, but, Martin, I do believe that's all the time we have for yeah. today. Yeah,
1: I think we a good old time, though.
0: I did indeed. I, I, th- I hope everyone enjoyed the story. If you want to hear more, so we got a few of those. Uh, yeah. I think we can definitely tell some stories uh from our various campaigns uh and i think we got some good tips in there. we can probably expand on it more but i think
1: we got some good tips in there about yeah. running bosses
0: yeah and um, if there's
1: um if there's anything that like i know we, we kind of covered a lot of ground today and if there's anything mm-hmm. anything in particular like uh say like editing stat blocks or uh like designing a boss or design maybe even designing like a story arc to lead to a boss battle that um you guys want us to cover in more detail um you can either shoot us a tweet at, at Mike Flair's pod on Twitter. Um it's also down in the right hand corner of the screen there. It should be should be right down there. Um and or you can leave us a comment here. Um we we we'll, we we'll, once we start we'll have a look through any kind of comments and see if any any ideas for any kind of topics you guys would want us to cover in the future.
0: Completely stole my outro bit, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole I have a whole thing here um you know, screw you i'm doing it anyway you can uh, just you Martin, can just cut I do me out the all the time we have for today <laughs> uh if you like any questions if you have any questions you'd like to ask stories you'd like to share or topics you would like us to cover please tweet us at mike flares pod on twitter uh you can also find our podcast on youtube and spotify um
1: and uh Martin where can people reach you or
0: find you yeah
1: um if you look below you can see my Twitter handle which is at so sorry uh, so sorry it's over um you can also find me uh live streaming on twitch uh twitch.tv forward mart. and fairly soon I'm actually going to I was I was telling Connor about this off there but fairly soon I'm actually going to uh redesign my entire world map and in, put in new cultures and all that kind of stuff. So if that's something you guys are interested in, um, you can drop by my Twitch sometime soon, and um, you will either be able to see a lot of that, or I might actually be live streaming it. So that should be a lot of fun.
0: Uh, the audio viewers can't see me, but I was applauding because I'm a big fan <laughs> of maps. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at zero point that's Z-E-R-P-O-I-N-T-C-O-N-O-R, one N, that's very important. Uh, so yeah, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time. All right, Bye guys.
1: guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.